0: Welcome to Scandinavian Mind Weekly, our show about current trends and events within business, tech, fashion, design, culture and more from the Nordic perspective of our team of editors and contributors. Today on the program, Nike acquires the French digital sneaker brand Artifact. Chanel invests heavily in craftsmanship and artisans. Swedish developer Hazelight wins game of the year and we wrap up our mobility special looking at innovations on rail and road and finally we talk about what's in store for Scandinavian Mind in 2022. I'm Conor Olsson, editor-in-chief and founder of Scandinavian Mind and I'm here with my dear colleagues roland Philip, Kretschmar, editor-at-large for future and digitization and our junior editor Erik Sedin. Guys, it's the end of the year. It's almost the holidays. How are you doing?
1: Seeing the light in the tunnel.
0: Light Definitely. In the tunnel. My my favorite joke this whole week has been in every meeting I've had. I've, I've, I've joked that I need two an, an additional two more weeks of this year to be able to wrap everything up. And uh, <laughs> I've been keep doing the joke because everyone laughs. It seems like it's working. Everyone feels <laughs> the same thing.
2: It didn't work on Roland uh, before we started recording, though. <laughs> he was like, it is two weeks oh. left.
0: <laughs> well, that, it kind of ends my, my tenure as a, as a... I don't know, what, what is a business stand-up comedian? My <laughs> clients love it, though, but maybe they're just polite.
2: Yeah, that's what matters. We're not here to be friends on this podcast. We're here to, okay. to be an We're analytic.
0: not here to be friends. Well, We listen, should actually
2: have an episode where we talk about the
1: same topic for, but from three different angles we, where we don't give up in our argumentation that would be fun, yeah.
0: that
2: would be a lot of fun.
0: kind of like the dad dad joke angle on podcast uh, <laughs> uh, themes <laughs> Anyways, we got a lot to talk about. A lot's been going on this week and a lot will be going on next year. So I look forward to talking a little bit more about what's happening with Scandinavian Mind. We're going to take a little bit of a recap of 2021, some of the best stories we've done. Uh, but first, let's take a look at what's happening in the world. Um, I think very, uh, you know, just a few days after we, we recorded last week, uh, the news came that Nike acquires the French digital sneaker brand. Artifact, um, sort of like a, a, a shock-bomb in, in the world of, of digital fashion, uh, one of the first major acquisitions. Eric Sedin, uh, you wrote about this the other day. Uh, can you just give us the, the, the headlines?
2: Yeah, so it was actually this morning uh, that I learned that it was pronounced Artifact. I've been saying R-T-F-K-T <laughs> right. since I wrote the article. How it's uh, on spelled. Wednesday whatever. But yeah, it's Artifact. And uh, it's really cool. Uh, they describe themselves as the new age supreme for a digital mm-hmm. audience. Mm-hmm. So basically, this uh, streetwear hype brand, but uh, in the metaverse. And uh, mm-hmm. Artifact, they were literally born into the metaverse. They started in uh, in the beginning of January 2020, so during COVID. And uh, I'm going to read a a quote they wrote on their website, which I think is really interesting. They said, the artifact project was scheduled to take off in 2040, but the human development in consciousness has accelerated faster than anticipated. (laughs) So they they were kind of blown away how things were supposed to take 20 years, but it only took two years or one and a half years.
0: They founded last
2: year, right? Exactly. So my, for... my
1: only thought is, why so soon? I mean, there's something fishy here, honestly. <laughs> if you think about it from an evaluation perspective, mm. um, you know,
2: I, 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 I'm not pretty sure it's just, you know, so rosy. Um, I think, well, I just think it's down to a global pandemic came and just accelerated the digital culture. In no, ways I'm not talking that about that. I'm talking about imagine. selling
1: the company.
0: Okay. Like, why sell okay. it so
1: soon? Mm. I don't know. I, just, I was a bit surprised, to be honest.
0: Yeah, so let's let's unpack this a little bit. Uh, so Artifact, obviously, uh, like a digital-first, uh, direct-to-avatar sneaker brand. They only do digital stuff. I think when the whole hype of the metaverse and digital fashion started sort of boiling last spring, uh, there were a couple of brands that was on everyone's agenda on all the panel talks and everything, and that was Artifact and uh, Dematerialized, which we have had on our podcast as well. So Artifact, this this French brand. It's not entirely clear to me because the the details of this deal is is not really official. It's not clear if Nike has bought the entire brand, which would I think surprise me. I think they probably the founders probably have some stake left in it. Uh, there are also some investors um, uh, that, that's been early on in Artifact. It's also unclear if they're still on or or if they got got bought out. I think what's interesting about this deal, and I think it's interesting that it happens so soon. So a brand that started a year and a half ago, uh, or, or 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 at least less than two years ago, is now being bought up by Nike. And I think what it what it says is. The, the 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 mainstream sort of fashion conglomerates and the, the the fashion industry at large is taking the notion of digital fashion seriously so that's that's you know the the, the clear message here i think is and and in, like nike uh you know maybe Roland you can speak to this more uh, about their heritage and and what the what they're seeing but i th- but i think what they are seeing is, kind of a shortcut into this new space. And I, I, I'm not, I, I don't think anyone knows where this exactly is going. I don't think anyone can predict the market for digital fashion uh, or, or digital goods or digital sneakers in this, this way. But I think Nike sees this as, as their sort of shortcut in, in directly into this space with a brand that, you know, obviously is very, uh, um, has a high credibility already in the sort of metaverse space. Yeah, I mean, I
1: I, I see it from um, two angles here, as a starting point. Um, one is what we are seeing now is large consumer brands buying tech companies in in the same way that, for example, Facebook would buy a tech company ten years ago. Right, um, just you know, a year or two years after um, its foundation to secure basically a, a spot in the market uh, space, right? I mean, the, the acquisition of Instagram uh, by Facebook, uh, I mean, that was just one of those examples. You know, it was a strategic decision by Facebook. And I, I think we're going to see the same now with a lot of consumer brands buying tech companies. So that is interesting yeah. that the, the, the big consumer brands are now, acting as tech companies in the way they expand and in their acquisition strategies. Um, The second perspective I think is interesting is why are the sneaker brands so fast at this?
0: To me, it's, it's been obvious that any brand that has a strong... Uh, community built around it a strong sort of sense of scarcity a strong sense of collectibles and a strong sense of um, uh, let's say visual uh, appearance or a strong sense of aesthetics is very fit for the metaverse and i okay, think this, but this...
1: why has not the luxury segment for example been as fast or successful yet and i i have an answer to this from my perspective just curious about your
0: yeah, Your take I, on this. I, well, let's let's unpack that because I've always said that the the brands that are most fit for the metaverse, if you will, or for digital fashion, are brands that have a strong community built around them, that has sort of strong aesthetics, a strong sense of scarcity in the products, and a strong sense of kind of collectibles. And I think the sneaker industry sort of checks all those boxes. I think though, high fashion. Uh, luxury fashion also tick those boxes it's probably that uh, sneaker brands are perhaps a little bit more fast paced Uh, but I do think it's interesting that in uh, the the fashion brand that actually is doing the most work in the metaverse that we see is Balenciaga which is one of the luxury houses sort of very forward-thinking and when I've been talking about this before it's like any sort of general mid-level brand or, or uh, you know, any generic sort of um, utility-based brand are probably not fit for, for digital fashion. But if it's a strong sense of, of aesthetics, a strong sense of collectibles, it's, you know, it's obvious that they will play a role in digital fashion. What, what's your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would not disagree with anything you said. Um <clears throat> But now what's interesting if we look back 5-10 years um, what did Nike do that no other brand did and what and, and, and as a front runner that was to mm. introduce Nike ID So they basically allowed consumers to tailor their sneakers f- a, a, and ha- have been offering this service now for a decade right So I think that itself opened up um, this opportunity that we're now seeing in the metaverse, and you know th- this whole kind of digital sneaker subculture. Because if you think about it, Nike ID is digital sneakers mm. when you design them, right? So yes. it has given the consumers, the, the the fans of Nike, and now also all the other sneaker brands are offering the same service: Adidas, Vans, Puma, all the others, right? But it it has offered the the consumers an opportunity to explore with both the technology, you know, kind of uh, this cut and paste way of designing a sneaker mm-hmm. uh, and also how, how it kind of feels and looks, like the tactile parts of it, right, uh, w- when you use the service. So I think that in itself is actually the, the, one of the main reasons uh,
2: why we're seeing the sneaker brands uh, so early. I also, I can add your question, your original question there, Roland, was why all these sneaker uh, companies or sneaker brands Actually, if you look at it from a sneaker, like what piece of clothing it is, a sneaker is really easy to add as AR filters on Instagram or Snapchat. Like a hat or yeah. something could be really hard with hair falling out and the face needs to be covered, half covered and stuff. Same with pants and T-shirts. It can look quite awkward. Shoes are really mm-hmm. easy to apply as an AR filter as well. Mm-hmm. People, they just look really nice. I know these guys, Artifact, that we begin talk about, mm-hmm. uh, they uh, photoshopped a pair of uh, these like, uh, Tesla shoes on, uh, on Elon Musk. People thought they were real. People looked at that picture that they posted like, oh, I want to buy these. Where can I get these? Because they just look real. It's easy to Photoshop that on and AR filter it on on Instagram and Snapchat too. So I think sneaker is a great way to to enter it, enter the metaverse.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. But I, I just want to stress my, my point here on culture, corporate culture, that mm-hmm. you know, this is not new for Nike. They've done it for no. 10 years, but just no. in a different way. That's I think what point.
0: is yeah what what is new for Nike and what could probably we'll see but it could p- perhaps uh, uh, be viewed as, as as a kind of a new strategy is that they're they're very clear about they're going to keep the Artifact brand as uh, sort of uh, indicating that they kind of are building like a new brand umbrella which is kind of unusual for for Nike they have uh, um, Jordan but I think that was a brand that was sort of founded by Nike they have Converse which they acquired so but so artifact will be sort of the, the fourth brand in, in that little umbrella which is which is kind of interesting and we can actually pivot from here onto our next story which is sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum where we see uh, the French luxury house Chanel is investing heavily in craftsmanship and artisans uh, Roland you've been you've been reading up on this what, what's happening here
1: yeah, so I think we just have to um, do some backstory around on Chanel because maybe not all the listeners really know about the company. I mean, they obviously know about the brand, right? But, uh, I mean, Chanel was founded, obviously, by, by Coco Chanel 100 years ago or so. Uh, and then after her death, uh, it was fully taken over by the Wertheimer family in, in France. And, you know, they were also co-funding uh, Coco Chanel uh, early on, you know, I think after the Second World War or so. And, and since then, you know, the company has, has remained private. And I, I think this is part of the part of the beauty with Chanel that, you know, they, they have expanded, uh, I would say, exponentially. I mean, it's an extremely profitable company. I think uh, last year's turnover was around uh, no, $10 billion. And I think they've had like 20 30% um, profit year on year. You know, so it, it's a big company. It's an extremely profitable company. It's it's controlled by the Wertheimer, Wertheimer family.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and we have to put this, um, the, the, this kind of um, development now into that context, right? Because it's all about control. It's about stability. It's about long-term planning and thinking that we would rarely see in, a, for example, listed companies, right? Mm. So what has happened is basically that Chanel quietly has acquired... Uh, I mean, the numbers are a bit different depending on where you read it, but up to 40 different uh, arts and crafts companies in the past year or two. I mean, last year, apparently, they invested over a billion dollars just in a, in acquisitions of arts and crafts companies, but also a bit in property and tech. And basically what they're doing, they are, um, they're investing, as they say, uh, so they can ensure that, you know, in 20 years from now, they're able to get the best product. Because what has happened, obviously, with fast fashion and, you know, all, and also digital fashion and all these things is that th- there's a scarcity for real knowledge around, um, uh, around uh, you know, production in small scale production, luxury uh, production, etc. So, you know, everything from knitting to, to, um, to uh, embroidery, uh, leather uh, craftsmanship, etc. Right. So th- there's a scarcity around that. And uh, they basically want to secure the supply chain. They want to ensure that they still can do the products in the future. Uh, and I think that that is actually quite beautiful when you think about it. Obviously, there's a commercial element here. Uh, Chanel wants to continue to to remain uh, you know uh, profitable and be in business, right? But mm. uh, if you also think about it, it actually helps. Small communities in Italy or France or Spain or Portugal or, you know, because they are mainly based in Europe, these companies, they, they can remain in business. And, 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 you know, those companies are also usually family businesses, but at a much smaller scale, obviously. And I, I think it just uh, it, it's significant because even if Chanel has made this public, uh, it just appeared in a couple of, uh, you know, magazines, uh, newsletters these past weeks. We've seen the same kind of strategy from other large um, players in the luxury space. So I, I think we're going to see more of this as this kind of counter trend to digital fashion. We're going to see the big luxury players invest more and more into their own supply chain, especially then into arts and crafts companies.
0: Yeah, I think this is super interesting. I, I, I do think we can we can uh, uh, there's a point to be made where where there's a reason this is happening at the same time as we see sort of these digital uh, advancements in the metaverse. We'll see if I can wrap this up, but I have a few thoughts on this, which is really interesting. And this is also something I've seen the past few years when observing uh, the fashion industry. It's going in sort of two separate directions simultaneously. One is this sort of Uh, pure play digital this sort of you know very fast advancing into digital spaces and 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 uh, digital innovations when it comes to to uh, developing a fashion brand and the other is sort of going back to the basics going back to uh, pure craftsmanship uh, localized production there's a lot of talk um around micro factories right now, mm-hmm. uh, around in Europe, you know, uh, obviously relating to the fact that we can't continue shipping clothes just to, you know, across the, the globe, like we do from, from Bangladesh and India and, and China and, and all these places. Um, so that's, that's one kind of trend that, that sort of goes into this. And, and we do see even, uh, some Swedish startups working in this arena as well, uh, with, with micro factories and, and, and so forth. Um, the other point here is we talked about sort of securing the supply chain, and, and there's a lot of talk about that in um, in the the tech space in terms of sort of the big tech companies. In terms of entertainment, for instance, mm-hmm. um, you talk about going vertical, meaning you know controlling your entire supply chain, cutting out middlemen, uh, and making uh, goods and services more valuable for for the for the customer and consumer. And you know, people argue that why Apple is so uh, successful as a brand and has such high margins is that they're 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 king of supply chain. Yeah, they know they 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 control their operating systems. Uh, they control the software. They control the hardware. Uh, and and I think there's a, a sort of a parallel here. What, what do you say, uh, Roland?
1: I I definitely agree. I think this 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 vertical model is is. Uh key for not only Apple, but for the luxury industry. Yeah. And uh, these, um, let's say, micro factories you're talking about, I mean, they you, they also talk about it like workshops or ateliers. I mean, Chanel, mm. Chanel has what they call 19M. Uh, Gucci has their art lab. And, you know, I, I think what they're doing there, they're also exploring how to combine true knowledge about arts and crafts, about, you know, craftsmanship with modern techniques, you know, mm. 3D printing, 3D design, uh, metaverse de- uh, kind of explorations, all these things that we talk about, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis in, in Scandinavian mine, that's part also of the success of these microfactories and the the, the the labs or the workshops that they're developing because they are seeing that they need both to survive.
0: Right. And I, I think one other thing that I think there's a parallel to the sort of the, the developments in digital is that the brands are looking for ways to make their products unique. And, and authentic in a way that the, the the consumer can actually see and feel and and uh, you know uh, authenticate and verify that this is actually a unique product and what chanel does here is it says that we have the artisans we've, we've bought up the, the the unique craftsmanship that actually makes these products there's a there's a huge chunk of of the luxury fashion space that has gone sort of almost fast fashion in a way uh, mm-hmm. and where, where some now of these... guess, an example, <laughs> well, I, you know, I, maybe, but, but I'm also thinking about some of these sort of, uh, you know, Louis Vuitton yeah. uh, uh, bags, for instance, there's, there's a lot mm-hmm. of debates around how exclusive are they? It's sort of sort of printing on leather. Uh, how exclusive is this leather? How much craftsmanship goes into it? I'm kind of hanging out. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, I think they're letting... pretty.
1: They're, they're pretty secure with their 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 ateliers outside of Paris. But yeah, I get the point. There's a lot of fast fashion kind of uh, um, uh, structures and uh, and and. Um... Let's say um, ways Method. of working.
0: Yeah. Yes. yeah, sure, sure. And and the, the, the I think the key word here is to the, the, the sort of authenticity. And we've talked about authenticity so much in the physical fashion space. Now we're talk, talking about uh, authentication in the digital fashion space. Mm-hmm. It's kind Definitely. of the same mechanism. So sort of signaling to the consumer that this is unique and NFT is unique. This version of the artifact sneaker is unique. It's only for you. You're the only one that owns this specific... Specific sneaker, anyone can copy it. Uh, there can be a copy of you can you can right click and save this image. Uh, you can you can post it on your blog. But if you don't own it, you don't have the credibility. And it's the same thing with 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 uh, craftsmanship in the traditional fashion space. Anyone can kind of. Kind of copy the shape and size and perhaps even the feel of a Chanel bag, but only Chanel can verify that this is Chanel. It's made in our local uh, uh, workshops uh, spread around Europe. Uh, there's an auth- authentication to it. I wouldn't be surprised that they will add kind of like a blockchain layer to their actual physical products to to verify this even more. And I think yeah, it's what, what the, the, the consumers want. It's what they want. It's it's the authentication of uh, uh, their, their luxury products because that's th- therein lies the signalling. Therein lies sort of the value of this. No,
1: I agree. I mean, that, that and that's the whole, let's say, USP of NFTs, right? So, and I think that's why we see the merger between fashion and and and. Um... Uh, digitalization it's so fast right and maybe also art fine art and 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 the nft space and i think what you talk about the blockchain it's about transparency it's about having these um, network based solutions with total transparency in the supply chain with transparent contracts uh, along the supply chain i think that's not only what i would say consumers are expecting because um they, they want more and more transparency throughout the whole value chain actually but it's also i think what will be required in the future to do business you need to uh, show total transparency throughout mm. the whole value and supply chain then i i, I you know i, I just uh, had a thought here that actually the artisans of chanel Uh, are like the
0: coders,
1: (laughs) you know, they are the programmers, they are the coders, right?
0: (laughs) I like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and just, we can talk about traceability as well. We can perhaps leave that for another podcast in in, in the beginning of next year. We're doing some projects around that, uh, specifically uh, in our program for the Stockholm Design and Architecture Talks. Uh, and this goes into this. It, it's both about sort of authenticating uh, the value of the product, but also about showing the transparency in production, why this is sustainable, how it's produced, what materials is, are used and so forth. So there's something super interesting with all these technologies kind of merging together in uh, uh, you know at the same time. And, and these developments are happening at the same time. Uh, it's super interesting. Yeah. And, and
1: maybe a last comment is that the reason we're seeing brands such as Chanel doing this is because they can afford it. <laughs> they have the war chest. Obviously, this costs a lot of money. Uh, but if you if you have a 10 billion turnover and and you know 20 30 percent profit margin year on year, you know you you have a big war chest. The same with Apple, right? So mm. um, unfortunately, I think this is just going to increase the gap, actually with all the other players on the market um, who cannot afford to do this
0: and cannot afford to own their supply chain. So take note, fashion business, get yourself a war chest. Okay, <laughs> hey, let's talk about gaming. Swedish developer Haylight run by uh, Swedish former movie director, Josef Fares, wins Game of the Year. Uh, uh, Eric Sedin, you know more about this. Uh, yes, I do.
2: Uh, first of all, this was uh, last Friday, so or well, this Friday, so it was it, was, uh, it literally come out uh, the night till uh, until Saturday. So we missed it uh, on the last week's podcast, but still, it doesn't matter. It's still really good news for for Swedish gaming, and uh, for me personally, I think it's really good for the gaming industry. Uh, it was kind of a shocker. A lot of people in the gaming industry were kind of shocked to hear this small, kind of childish co op game win over all these like big uh, in gaming you call games which are basically like in movies you call them blockbusters you know movies with uh with huge budgets and the major publishers behind them that would be a blockbuster so but in gaming they're called aaa games triple a games and all of these triple a games were (laughs) kind of swept away and uh, haste like kind of grabbed the title from from their nose in front of their nose and it's it's a it's 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 interesting because Hazelight is a really it's a fun uh, developer. They make fun games, and what I mean by that is you have to play them. You can't just buy it and sit alone and play them. You have to play it with someone,
0: mm. which
2: is uh, that's also why the gaming industry has been kind of in some ways reluctant to it because they think it's kind of excluding to for some gamers that can't play with someone that they can't you literally can't play the game if you don't have a partner to play it with. The reason I'm so happy about this is. Uh, it's because of Yusef Fares. The really, uh, he was happy, right? <laughs> yeah, he's he's always happy. He's, uh, equally, I would say, uh, equally charismatic, but also controversial. Uh, there's a lot of memes within the gaming industry when he went on stage because he was shouting all over the place. He's swearing. He's talking about we need to get passion into gaming, and he's saying. I'm so happy that I was invited here to the Game Awards. I, I, I'm an old movie director, and I say, fuck the Oscars. The Oscars can go and fuck themselves. This is what it's all about. It's about gaming. And I, you can just hear the people in the crowd of this event just going wild. They're laughing. They're screaming, which is really Let new to, a to gaming. Minute. I want to take your time. Look,
1: OK, can you swear here? Can you, you can can swear? swear? OK, the fuck the Oscars, you know? Fuck the Oscars. <laughs> fuck you. I'll tell you. I like, this is bullshit. Look, Here's the thing, yeah. the gaming industry is an interactive experience where you, you feel it have, in your you heart. You used a lot
2: of films, and now you're in games, games yeah, years, right?
1: you know, I, I've done six features, but I don't yeah. care. But
2: okay. You know, gamers and developers are really thoughtful, you know, kind of toned down. Uh, gaming is not really a way to express yourself on stage, you express yourself through the game. Right. Uh, so, we're really happy for him, and I know, I know Roland said something before we started recording, that he's doing well as well, <laughs> economically. Mm-hmm. Uh, bringing in a lot of cash.
0: So, yeah, he's made quite a lot of money in the, in the, in the world of gaming. And, you know, from sort of directing these sort of, uh, uh, you know, action comedies in Sweden, obviously there's no, not much money uh, being made as a Swedish movie director locally here. So, I mean, I, he, the, the turnover was around uh, 300 million sec the other year uh just for for, for these games <laughs> yeah. uh it's a small player in the global stage but but just compared to the movie business which he was in is it's a huge difference yeah. uh, but so talk about the the awards uh, for anyone who doesn't know including me uh you know who who uh puts out this award and where was it uh, you know uh, delivered and so forth it's put out
2: by it's called the game awards which is basically every year uh, it's an annual award uh, which brings out the uh, it's basically like any other war they have the Game of the year and then they have the best children's game of the Year, co-op game of the year, uh, best story, best music and stuff. and that's I think a reason why I think he's doing so well with storytellings because he comes from Yusuf. Uh, he comes from uh, from movies. His stories or his, his games have a lot of uh, really intri- intricate and really beautiful storytelling and you know conversations and dialogues that you don't really see in games. If I feel like he's doing, he's focusing a lot on, on that. Mm. So the game awards, usually they would, uh, they would just hand it to these big time players that's been doing uh, this for like 30, 40 years. You know, some, some games uh, goes back uh, 30, 40 years. Uh, this is, a, this is a, a really new game developer. They only done three games. And I think, I think that's why he won this, because he's doing it so differently.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how how these worlds sort of comes together in the years to come. We've seen with I think the movie Mandalorian, uh uh the Star Wars uh or uh, rather the Star Wars series Mandalorian uh w- was the first one who really uses sort of gaming technology in in the 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 recording of the, the films. The the, the actual mm-hmm. um the shooting of the films takes place in sort of the using game engines to display all the settings on, on, on uh, you know, LED screens in this huge studio called The Volume. Yeah. Um, and they're using, you know, a lot of these sort of gaming technologies that been sort of brewing for several years have sort of matured to the way that they can render in real time, which mm-hmm. now they really can be used for, for recording movies. So obviously, uh, that opens up the opportunity for gaming and film to really really merge. I think we're going to see a lot of examples where where uh, games and movies are released simultaneously. It's the same type Type of experience, it's the same type of resolution. You'll be able to go into the same type of worlds that you see in the films and the, and the TV series. And uh, just seeing uh, the, the creatives, the, the talent moving from uh, the movie industry to the games industry is such a natural proje- pro- progression. And we, if it's, I think we're going to see uh, uh, talent moving in the other direction as well
2: of course and uh, like you said uh, one of my favorite games growing up uh, was uncharted this uh, nature uh, adventure game uh, mm. and now they're doing a movie it's releasing very soon with mark Wahlberg and tom holland mm. <laughs> and if you would have told me when i was 14 oh, they're gonna make this huge uh, movie about uh, uncharted a huge blockbuster movie with tom holland and mark Wahlberg," i would not believe you and <laughs>
0: well i think they're making a, a sonic 2 as well so <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I played sonic when i was a kid so that, that that goes in the same category we we're now seeing sonic as a, as a blockbuster movie but uh that's where we are yeah we love it All right, Eric. moving on, I'm going to still uh, have the mic d- directed to you. This, uh, this past week, we launched the last part of our mobility special, looking at innovations on rail and road. And we also now published your intro, your little essay on uh, the, the four pillars of mobility. Uh, so I think just, you know, reiterate, I think it's really interesting, the thesis that you put forward about the four pillars of mobility. So just talk about that again and take a look at some of the innovations on rail and road
2: so yeah the uh, our mobility special is now wrapped up and uh, like you said with it i posted like an opinion opinion piece where i kind of write and share my opinions on where mobility will go and travel will go in this mm-hmm. post pandemic world so but yeah basically uh this uh, the special goes into how uh, the future of mobility needs to cater for four pillars of transportation and that's time price comfort and sustainability so any way you want to travel, if it's uh, taking a bike, flying, taking a car, you need to cater for time, price, comfort, and the, that's how it's always been these three. But now we also have to cater for sustainability. Uh, so, in this opinion piece, I kind of talk about how. Uh, in the future and since uh, how kind of COVID has been like business travel, the death of business travel, I think a lot of companies will realize that you can't really fly people all over the world for, for a business mm-hmm. meeting. They can just sit at home and talk on Zoom, even though Zoom <laughs> is not really the same thing. We have Zoom fatigue and stuff, but uh, we've seen now when, when Facebook entered the, the, the metaverse and same with the Microsoft, they're looking mm-hmm. at ways to, uh, they're using business meetings as a way for to market right. these things. So what I'm writing about here is when people have uh, meetings, business meetings uh, at home or at office, we're going from long haul trips to shorter trips. So we will still travel, we will always travel, but moving about might look a little different. You know, we're go- on a micro level. I think we'll take more trips, but shorter ones and more spontaneous ones. So you still like, if you have a phone call, you have a business meeting or a phone call, you're going to give in Dubai or somewhere where you don't live. You still have to go to an office or go somewhere to, to mm. meet up, you know. Mm. So moving and transporting will be different after the pandemic. That's my that's my opinion.ly That's what I'm writing about.
0: No, I think you're absolutely right. And and you know, looking at some of the examples that we released this week, we also see that it's it's both sort of uh, you know uh, short distance traveling uh, with VOI is happening. Um, there's mm-hmm. also new business models in terms of how you sort of rent your car or le or, or subscribe to your car. Uh, there's a a lot of developments in uh, electric bicycles. Uh, talk about some of these examples and maybe maybe start with the electric bicycles. I think that's a really interesting uh, uh, growth area.
2: Yeah, I know, I, th- I think I, I, I bring this up in the opinion piece how in the US they've seen like bike manufacturers can't keep up with the, uh, with the uh, demand. Uh, mm. And one way of this is, uh, e- they're called e-bikes, I guess, or electrical bicycles, but I'm going to say e-bike now because it's shorter. Uh, one of the uh, one of the brands that caught my eyes was uh, VanMoof, a Dutch uh, e-bike company. And the Dutch, we all know, they're really good good with uh, with biking, especially in like the bigger cities. So VanMoof, or I think I said Van I'm not sure if it's Van Moof. <laughs> we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll look into that. <laughs> It'll work. I think they understand what we're talking about. Uh, they're doing a real, they're doing like the ultimate, in my eyes, like the ultimate inner city bike. Because mm. first of all, it's, uh, <laughs> I think they're kind of uh, really pragmatic. They know a lot of people steal bikes in Amsterdam where these guys are based. So they have this service that uh, in the bicycle they has an anti-theft uh, service going on. Mm. And they have like, I think they call them like uh, anti-theft uh, hunters. So they have people that are paid from Van Move to go and get the bike and hunt these people down. <laughs> so, which is one way of like... Talking,
0: a... <laughs> talking about innovations, both in the digital space and the physical space. But yeah, they're also... I think... D-
1: beautiful design. I mean, they're, yes, they're course, definitely yeah. the, the smartest looking e-bikes around. They're
0: really awesome definitely, looking. Definitely. And one thing that I think it's good to point out with, with One Move for One Move is uh, it's not just, you know, the physical uh, vehicle that's powered by electricity. So it's easier to sort of ride it, which is kind of the basics for the e-bikes. But it's actually, it goes into IoT, Internet of Things. It's actually a computer. It's a connected device, and uh, which which you know enables that the tracking and all these extra features that you're talking about. I think you can lock it with your phone as well. There's other features.
2: That's how we. That's how That's how, that's, how, that's how. That's why it's also really hard to, uh, to steal it because mm-hmm. if you if you don't if you're not unlocking it on your phone you can choose to disable this if you want but it won't start <laughs> like you can you literally can't pedal it. So that's one thing. And also, like you said, Roland, it looks really good. And that's why that's, that's like a concern for me with these e-bikes. I think we talked about it the the other week, I think about these batteries. I think they look really bad on a bike. You You can really see them, you know, but this bike it's built into the frame. So it just looks really nice and perfect for like the minimal Scandinavian and Dutch aesthetic.
0: Yeah. So another brand that's interesting from sort of the short short hauling uh, with, within cities is uh, Nevs, the National Electric Vehicle Sweden. Uh, to, to talk about this is a, an autonomous vehicle from from Sweden.
2: Uh, yes, uh, and uh, maybe even one of the most uh, like forward thinking ones, and they're actually mm. really developed already. And uh, they're coming from they're from uh, kind of like the Motown town of Sweden, the motor town of Sweden, Trollhättan. Mm. Where of course we have Saab. It's it's an old uh, Saab is no more, unfortunately. One, if you ask me, it's for another podcast. But one of the most uh, underrated car brands there is. Okay, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we can have like a it's, with the whole culture thing with Seinfeld and everything, but that's for another podcast. Uh, they're in their old factories and Saab. Saab. I'm sorry, the... Saab
0: and Seinfeld. Let's just pick up on that. What's that?
2: I don't. I don't know if you've seen Seinfeld, but he has this beautiful Saab uh, 900 uh, Cabriolet. It, it's amazing. It... He's in a huge the... car collector, that's, that's the thing.
0: Yeah, I know, but is it the old, co- is it the comedians in cars getting coffee? No, 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 I mean, he's like, old... in the show, he's driving in around actual it, in show? the show. I didn't yeah, know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So, uh, perhaps he was one of the ones uh, making it uh, a bit more popular. In the, I don't trivia. know, I don't know how, how big his pull is. But,
0: yeah, yeah. Back, but back to Nevs.
2: <laughs> yeah, back to Nevs. So, yeah, yeah, it's basically, uh, they're already test driving around the Torlhetan. And uh, it's a fully automatic, fully autonomous uh, electric vehicle. So no driver. It's supposed to work as like a taxi or a bus. You get in, fits four people. And uh, yeah, you can, uh, p- you can get an app. That's what they're getting. I think it's called the Oculo system. Mm. Uh, and you can get the car to wherever you are. And it, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it goes maximum speed of 15 kilometers per hour. So you're basically, it's, it's cruise mode. Right, uh, right. And they say it will, will eventually go to 70 kilometers per hour, but now it, should just, it, it will just go in downtown parts of cities, 15 kilometers per hour, uh, pick up and drop off via an app.
0: And uh, what's the yes. timeline for this? When are they launching it? Uh,
2: they're doing pilot testing uh, next year in Stockholm, so we should definitely try that out uh, to see how it works and perhaps write about it, talk about it here.
0: So, keep your eyes open for NEVs and keep your eyes open for the Scandinavian Mind Mobility Special. Uh, the full special is now online at scandinavianmind.com with the uh, foreword by our uh, editor, Eric Sedin. Yes, check it out. Okay, guys, it's the end of perhaps the longest weekly podcast we've ever done. But we wanted to give ourselves a little bit more time to sort of wrap up the year and look ahead for 2022. Uh, But before we talk about next year, let's talk about some of the highlights of this year. Uh, Obviously, the first full year of Scandinavian Mind we launched in August of 2020. Uh, Roland uh, you've been with us you're not in our daily business but you're with us uh, kind of from the sidelines out there exploring the world and doing some some writing uh, for us what are your highlights in terms of the the work you've done with Scandinavian Mind?
1: Well I think the interview with Isabel Olson obviously that was published in in issue two of Scandinavian Mind was uh, extremely interesting to do to understand to get some insights into the design process of Google hardware and I think this kind of borderline world of digi and physical objects is, 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 I mean, it is not the future. It's happening right here, right now. And to get the insights of a big company uh, such as Google was very interesting. And then I must also uh, pick the kind of uh, discussion I had, roundtable discussion with AinRide. So Robert Falk mm-hmm. and Linnea Kuhner here from AinRide. Uh, together with alexander weasley is a fine artist and jakob muldrad he's a composer and they did a collaboration um where basically jakob muldrad and alexander weasley interpreted the the world of mobility and einride and digitalization and you know in, in in their way and i must say that the result was quite fantastic beautiful and uh yeah beautiful experience and um you Know it's it's an art project, what can I say? <laughs> it, it has maybe nothing to do with Ainright, but uh, that was a, an uplifting conversation at least.
0: Yeah, speaking of Ainright, didn't they launch their own NFT this past week? I saw something yes. about that. Yes, yes, they did. Yes, what was that like the first? There was some kind of sketch or something that you could buy. I have no idea. The first sketch of, of the, the Ainride uh, autonomous truck you can buy as an NFT. Maybe, I don't know if it's a, it's a way to finance their new activities in the U.S. They just re- <laughs> launched out there or if it's some kind of marketing thing. Pro- probably the latter. It's probably
1: marketing. I think they're pretty well funded and it's, it's going really well for them, actually. So, um, yeah, interesting company to, to um, follow in general
0: for sure and we'll keep a close eye on them and and uh, obviously the mobility sector eric what about you the past year what what has been some of the highlights for you
2: Uh, i really enjoyed uh, starting this podcast it's a really nice way to just (laughs) get stuff out of your system at the end of the week just talk uh, with my dear friends like you guys are i really enjoy this and i think we can really step it up saying that going into next year if there's anyone listening to this, I want all the tech companies, all the mobility companies, to just email us, and I can test your stuff. We can all test them. Then I can review them on this pod. Just send everything. Like no shame, shame. Send it all. <laughs> okay. So let let me actually play these games that I'm talking about. Let me actually drive the uh, like the Nevs cars before I talk to them. So I just uh, so and I'm for the tax guessing.
0: authorities. Uh, no. <laughs> Yeah, let's okay. let's let's not go there. The, we can have a special <laughs> show on the influencer economy and what that means. For, for... <laughs> no, yeah. for sure. I think it's a, a, a you know great that you mentioned this. I think also the the podcast that. Uh, uh, you know, I think you and I, Roland, talked about it over lunch uh, just a few months ago, and just we just decided right there and then, let's just try it, let's just do it. And I think it's a sh- it has shown that there's so much stuff happening in our world, and so much stories that that uh, uh, that's kind of flowing around that really fits this format. And uh, I I do think also we've 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 become better at it uh, while doing these podcasts. How many have we done? Is it like you know eight or ten or something? I think oh, it's a
1: good question. 10, 12 or something. yeah. and, I, and I, I really appreciate when we have guests as well. So let's just agree to to get some more guests uh, in our weeklies.
0: For sure. And you know let's talk about next year in a way. And um, there are a few things we're, we're sort of having our strategy sessions right now we're thinking about how to develop the Scandinavian mind brand. And one of the things is for sure to develop this uh, format, the, the podcast format, also develop the, the, the long form interview format that we have. Uh, but it's also about focus and uh, sort of a double whammy here just for me talking about what's been interesting with 2021 and, and it's, it will affect 2022 in, in, in large measures. Uh, I remember in the spring... Of 2021, uh, writing some editors' letters about these kind of concepts around the metaverse, around digital fashion. I remember around uh, you know March or April, started thinking a lot about what what this will mean for fashion. Um, and not to sort of tote my own horn here. I mean, it's a way to sort of humble brag, but it's also a way to describe how fast this has, his, this development has has been. Uh, you know, just taking the, the the example of Artifact, I think their turnover was like six hundred thousand euros uh, of twenty twenty, and now their their turnover is four and a half million a month. Uh, so the sort of the exponential growth of uh, some of these concepts with digital fashion and the metaverse has been just staggering. And, um, and, and you know, we, we can talk at length about how this is sort of a fundamental shift with how you view uh, um, content, how you view digital assets. And what we've been sort of uh, busy uh, with in the Scandinavian mind uh, world is to see how this can actually affect publishing as well. Because, you know, the way I see it, a digital, you know, good, a digital experience, will be more akin to publishing uh, uh, than anything else and obviously that's where we come from we we love you know publishing content we love developing different formats that's what we do with Scandinavian mind that's what we do for our clients as well in terms of the the agents work that we do so we're gonna sort of you know really double down on on becoming a web three company, whatever that means, but for sure, uh, looking at how we can produce nFTs, um, how we can also strengthen our focus on this area, there's so much happening, so I think we need to sort of double down on our uh, journalism around this stuff as well, so that will be really interesting for for twenty twenty two I think here, here. All right, guys, this was a a packed, massive uh, end-of-year episode. We're going to take a couple of weeks off now for uh, Christmas Eve and, and New Year's, and we'll be back first week of January. Uh, don't forget to sign up to our newsletter uh, visit scannavenmind.com newsletter to stay updated or just follow us in your, your, your podcast app or, or wherever you like to, to uh, uh, consume our content. Uh, Roland, Erik it's been a true pleasure doing this podcast with you and I look forward to doing it again for next year. Thank you for a
1: fantastic year, happy holidays and uh, wish you all the, the best of luck and you know, prosperity for next year.
2: Oh yeah, I can only second that, that was beautiful.
0: Alright guys, Happy New Year.
2: Take care.